episode, but I'm so, 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 so busy these days with the holidays approaching. I'm leaving tomorrow morning to go on a trip to my hometown to visit my family, and I'm, I'm not excited about it. I feel more as though this is an obligation in a way, but I'm going to put on a, I'm happy to see some people, others not so much, but I'm going to put on a smile, I'm going to put my best foot forward, it's the first time my husband is meeting my family, so it's good for him to see what he's getting himself into, but I've been busy just preparing for that, getting a few small gifts ready. Today it was a beautiful snowy day in Nova Scotia, so my husband and I, I took him He's Brazilian, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, and today was his first day sledding. So we went up to Citadel Hill in Halifax, and he sled down the hill, and it was adorable, and we got a video, and it was really fun. So yeah, I'm kind of just recording this on the fly. I have a Portuguese language lesson in 50 minutes, so yeah, let's get right to it. What is going on these days? The Trudeau government has announced that it has officially banned conversion therapy. It was a bipartisan effort, which is great. I will note, however, that the Trudeau government is in its sixth year of governing, four of which they had a majority in the House of Commons. So I will say that this ban on conversion therapy is a long time coming. It should have happened sooner. I'm trying not to view this through such a cynical lens, but the Liberal government, the Trudeau government, has proven time and time again that it is comfortable using marginalized peoples as props, and I just worry. I feel as though the conversion therapy legislation was dragged from the first election to the second election in order to create a wedge issue at election time, and I don't like seeing queer people used as wedge issues, and I worry that they're going to take another LGBTQ plus issue into the next election so they can create a wedge or a divide with other political parties, and I don't think it's a good look. It ain't cute using people as props for your political ambitions. It really isn't. So while all parties should be credited for for voting to ban conversion therapy. I applaud all of them. It's important to recognize that this should have happened long ago, and it could have happened four years ago. So let's just keep that in mind. I don't think the Trudeau government should be receiving a whole lot of applause. It's inappropriate for the Trudeau government to be using people as props. It really is. So, Maddie Morphosis has been cast as the first straight, white, cisgender man to appear on RuPaul's Drag Race, and it is stirring up some controversy. I have a different take than than others in my life. The criticisms that I've been reading center around drag being a safe space for queer people, and that casting a straight man would encroach on that. I disagree. From my point of view, drag is an art form which nobody has a trademark on. It's a celebration of gender and sexuality, and of course, it's been a staple of queer culture for a very long time. But I don't think that that is grounds for excluding Maddie Morphosis, which, let's be honest, being a straight guy participating in drag, you know, it probably isn't the most comfortable thing with regard to public perception. Uh, Not that I think he deserves any extra points for doing drag, but let's be honest, 
I'm, I would love to hear the conversations that take place in, in his household over Christmas dinner. And I do think that Metamorphosis can use this as an opportunity to acknowledge the history of drag performance and participate in a tasteful way and acknowledge the backs that she stands on when she's performing on stage in front of RuPaul. If a straight man's performance on Drag Race means that one less straight boy decides to pick on a queer kid because of their gender identity or sexual orientation, then let Maddie Morphosis participate. Like if you're really that outraged, take it out on the producers of the show who decided to cast this person for the purpose of starting the conversations that we're having right now on my podcast. There are far more useful ways for people to express outrage, seriously. Until people are not afraid to live openly out of fear for their safety, then I don't really care what Maddie Morphosis decides to do, and I wish her all the best on Drag Race. You know, why not welcome a straight guy onto the show? I think it will make it interesting, it will make it compelling, and it will start conversations and dialogue that need to be had. I kind of applaud the show for choosing to put Maddie Morphosis on the show and Maddie Morphosis for stepping forward because I think these conversations are often quite difficult when they're first being had. You have people who are fervently in favor and those who are staunchly opposed and and sometimes that creates clashes. Personally, I think that Maddie Morphosis can participate and do it in a way that acknowledges the history of drag performance, which I think she's already kind of done publicly in response to a lot of the criticism. But I think even on the show, it's a huge platform to sort of maybe start some of those conversations that, you know, nobody should be criticized or persecuted for taking part in drag performance, for expressing gender and sexuality in different ways, in unconventional ways that, that many people may not be used to. I'm not necessarily for pushing people away. I think participation with acknowledgement is a good thing. If we want to direct our outrage anywhere, it should be that the 2022 FIFA World Cup will be held in Qatar, in Qatar being gay is illegal and punishable by up to three years in prison. Josh Cavallo, a, an Australian football player, has said that he would be afraid to play in in Qatar, and, and I don't necessarily blame him, but I will say that as a professional football player, uh, he definitely has a layer of protection participating in Qatar than, than many locals and others who don't necessarily have a nation state that would back them. But I understand what he's saying. I don't think, you know, I would be, I would be nervous to walk down uh, the street in Qatar holding my boyfriend's hand. I lived in Turkey for a while and I certainly would not have been engaging in any public displays of affection there. So yeah, if you're outraged about anything, be outraged that the FIFA World Cup is taking place somewhere that being gay is illegal and punishable by up to three years in prison. That's where we should be directing our outrage, where people are living in unfathomable fear and completely unable to come out. I, I couldn't imagine that life. So, you know, evaluate your priorities, honeys. I'm approaching two weeks of being married, and it's a great feeling. I love my husband. He's one of the best people. He is the best person in the world. He makes me feel amazing all of the time. I am slowly learning, though, that 
well, I'm trying to be a little less selfish. You know, I'm, re I'm, I'm quite independent and making a life compatible with somebody else can present challenges. So I'm working on it and I'm so easily stressed out. Everything stresses me out and I'm, I'm also working on not letting my stress sort of permeate other people's spaces. And it's difficult. Like today, I freaked the fuck out because I could not find parking on the snow-covered roads of Halifax because our municipality uh, clearly needs a lesson or two in snow removal because you can't find a goddamn parking space. But anyway, that's just a taste of what was going through my head earlier today. And, and you know, I, I feel like I kind of ruined my husband's mood because I was being a little bitch. And I'm trying to work on that. And it's difficult. It's really difficult. But I love him. So if he's listening, I love you. So today, I'm going to be speaking with Valerie Plame. In 2003, the Washington Post leaked Valerie's identity as a covert officer with the Central Intelligence Agency. This was retaliation for Valerie's then-husband, the late Ambassador Joseph Wilson, criticizing the White House for manufacturing evidence to justify going to war with Iraq. In February 2002, he traveled to Niger at the CIA's request to determine if Iraq had purchased materials from the African nation for the purpose of producing nuclear weapons. Ambassador Wilson determined that this was not happening, but unfortunately his findings contradicted the narrative that the Bush administration was constructing in order to invade Iraq. After Ambassador Wilson made it clear that the White House was embellishing, or some could say straight up lying, about its Iraq claims, the White House walked back its statements, but chose to retaliate against Ambassador Wilson by leaking his wife, Valerie Plame's, identity to the press, effectively destroying her professional career. Now, there's still a lot unknown about how Valerie Plame's identity was leaked and by whom. It is clear that there are three officials who were involved in the leak. One is Scooter Libby, the former chief of staff to the vice president of the United States, Dick Cheney. The leak led to a two-year-long special counsel investigation. This investigation found that Scooter Libby was involved in the leak. Libby was found guilty on four of the five counts against him, and he was convicted of obstruction of justice, perjury, and lying to the FBI. Libby was sentenced to 30 months in prison and fined $250,000. President Bush commuted Libby's sentence, and Donald Trump pardoned Libby in 2018. You know, come on, not great company to keep. Donald Trump is pardoning you. We all know how moral and ethical he is. So, Scooter Libby, a really despicable character, he really should have faced further consequences for what he did. It was a misogynistic, it was a sexist, it was a deplorable act, to put it mildly. It's really unfortunate that he formally got away with it, but on the bright side, his reputation will always be marked by what he did, and it's incumbent upon those of us who are interested in, in holding powerful people to account to speak that out loud to ensure that this follows him in life and, and in death. Two others involved in the leak were U.S. Deputy Secretary of State Richard Armitage and Karl Rove, who was a senior advisor to 
President George W. Bush. You know, speaking with Valerie was an absolute joy. Valerie is an extraordinary person, and she's pivoted so well despite the upheaval that she had to go through. Facing threats, having to relocate her family, really horrible things. She wrote a book entitled Fair Game, chronicling these events. The book was turned into a film starring Naomi Watts and Sean Penn, which is super cool. And she has written spy novels. She does speaking engagements, including the upcoming conference in Tucson, Arizona, Spies, Lies, and Nukes, which will be featuring an array of some of the foremost experts on various issues related to national security at a tremendous resort. I was looking at the photos and it looks simply amazing. So I encourage you to check out spiesliesnukes.com and read more about it. I really wish I could go. The speakers look great. The venue looks great. Valerie is just an all-around engaging person and hearing her speak in person would be simply amazing. And it was so nice to hear that she's doing well despite, you know, she had some of the highest ranking officials in the United States government trying to destroy her career for something that she had nothing to do with. As I said, it was a misogynistic effort to put it mildly. And the idea that this is referred to still as Plamegate is just ridiculous. I said this to Valerie, it reminds me of the impeachment scandal involving President Bill Clinton's relationship with intern Monica Lewinsky that's frequently referred to as the Lewinsky scandal. No, let's let's point the fingers where they need to be pointed at. This is not Plamegate. This is Scooter Libby Gate. This is Richard Armitage Gate. This is Karl Rove Gate. This isn't Plamegate. Let's point the fingers where they need to be pointed. Let's point the fingers at those who did things that were inappropriate. And, and more than inappropriate, that were downright criminal. So, on that note, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Valerie Plame. It was such a joy to speak with her. I've been a fan for so long. She's rad, she is brilliant, and yeah, enjoy. First of all, I want to say it's an absolute pleasure to meet you. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. So how are you? How's it going today? I'm well. I'm well. It's just everyone is crazy busy trying to, uh, you know, finish up before the end of the year, uh, all the different projects. But oh, good. Yeah. Um, I I said I'm not going to do anything that I really don't want to do. And that that would be true. But I've apparently I'm not very good at saying no. So a little too full. Now, where are you? Where are you located? I'm in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Okay, lovely. Any snow? Any snow out there? No, we, we don't have any snow. It was uh, kind of, uh, there was a little bit today, but my uh, partner, my husband, actually, we just got married. He's from Brazil, so he's dying to see the snow. And I am like, I'm already... I'm already over it and it hasn't even hit the ground yet. So, um, but it's good. He, he, he kind of cheers me up a little bit. I'm a bit of a curmudgeon when it comes to the snow, but seeing him excited about it because it's his first winter, it kind of makes it a little better. But, but anyway, since I only have you for a, a few minutes, I'm going to jump right into the questions. As many people know, your life was turned upside down in 2003 when were you able to reflect on that period with clarity and not feeling like you were in the thick of it? Thanks, Bertie. That's such a great question because it 
did take years. And it's only in retrospect that I look back and I go, what just happened? Because it was one of these like rolling scandals, political nuclear thing that went off that didn't just, it happened. I was actually outed in 2003. There was a, a, um, a grand jury was convened, a special prosecutor, Patrick Fitzgerald brought in. And it wasn't until 2007 that uh, four years later that Scooter Libby was convicted on several counts relating to the leak of my covert CIA identity. And even, and then that sort of steamrolled into my husband had a book he wrote about. I wrote a book, it was turned into a movie. And then it was, it was really, when I look back, really madness for for many years, some of the a lot of it was simply survival, and we had uh, very small children at the time, and dealing, you know, trying to keep their lives normal. So the the real truth, truthful answer to your question is, I think it really wasn't until last summer, 2020. What ha- I ran for Congress, we had the primary in June 2020. I obviously did not win. And it was the first time in almost two decades that I had an opportunity to take a breath, truthfully. I mean, my kids are now in college. I don't have, my ex-husband is gone. Uh, I, I'm in a new chapter in my life, but it took that long. It was like one rolling thing after another. Some things were in my control, such as I didn't have to run for Congress, but I thought it seemed like a good idea at the time. And other things were out of my control. Uh, so it it was a, and I'm still, of course, picking through it, right? But it's really with the advent of COVID, which I know has been so tragic and terrible for millions. Uh, but for me personally, it allowed that respite and that time to take a take a genuine deep breath and go, what just happened? Except it wasn't just. <laughs> you mentioned your run for uh, your primary run. I've, so I have some experience professionally. What I had have done for the past two years is uh, I was working for a member of parliament. So I've been involved in a couple of election campaigns. It's not for the faint of heart. It's quite difficult in many ways. How did you find the experience? I am so glad I did it. It felt a little bit like an itch I needed to scratch. I did, you only get in because you do want to serve. Where you end up might be different, but I think the vast majority of people that run for elected office, because particularly now it is so difficult, really get in because they want to serve. And I wanted to serve my country. And I don't mean to be immodest, but I thought, oh, I can do that job. You know, like I can do that. I I, I have those that skill set. That's and I'm really glad I did it. And I, I met amazing people along the way, because what's more interesting than asking someone, tell me more about that, you know, and because it just then they tend to just open up. But the downside was asking your friends and family and complete unknowns for money to run, which in the United States, you know, has just reached epic proportions. Um, It's really ugly. It, it's not like it's not we're we're in a a time now where opposing sides, the extremes on both sides are so extreme that it's not good enough to say your policies suck. (laughs) You know, that's ridiculous. No, they're like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. But before I do that, I'm going to make your life a living hell, you know, and it's, it is so ugly. Um, I experienced that. I raised a bucket full of money and 
more than anyone else, but that didn't matter because in the last week and a half, about a million and a half dollars of dark money came in. So it's really, I mean, uh, that's a whole other conversation on the state of democracy in the United States, not this conversation, but um, I'm, uh, I'm glad I did it. I really saw how the sausage is made. I have even more respect for those that I like uh, that are running because it's really painful. I mean, everyone said, oh, you have to get a thick skin. Well, I don't think mine is very thick for starters, but it's also like, wait a minute, we're people too. I'm right here. I can hear you say these terrible things about me. So uh, it's, it's, it was having said, it was clearly a mixed experience, but I'm glad I did it. Right. So I think that's, that's fair. How does it make you feel today? Are you over it that nobody's been formally held accountable for what happened to you? Or is it still a disappointment? No, I have never held on to it. I don't carry around that anger, that bitterness. The only little bitterness left is that because of all that happening, I missed big chunks or I wasn't fully present, shall we say, for really important parts of my kid's childhood. You know, when they're, when they're small, they're never going to be three years old again. They're never going to. And through the whole period, through their three, four, five, six, going off to kindergarten, their first day, you know, so I'm there, but I'm not there. Right. Because who knows what crazy thing just happened. So that's where I still hold on to that. But, you know, really in terms of the larger bitterness or, you know, specific individuals, not there, they will have to deal with that on their own. Your kids, I'm guessing, understand the magnitude of what was going on, though, at the, the time and why you may have been in other places. Well, they do more so now. Yeah, more so now. But at, uh, young children, they don't. All they care about is like mom and dad are not here. And all I do is see dad on TV. Uh, so that's not great uh, when children are small. Yes, I would say in the last few years, they've read our books again and saw the movie again as as young as the young adults they are now. They're 21. So yeah, um, it's it, 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 our whole family paid a price in many ways. Public service was a theme in your household. Your father served in World War II and your brother, from what I understand, served in Vietnam. Did your sort of tribulations with government change how you view public service? No, not at all. And in fact, I still encourage people if they're interested to go in to consider national security or the intelligence field. Absolutely. We, we need, you know, we need young, bright people, fresh blood to come in and shake things up. Very much so. It, it, the, the larger concern is the state of our democracy, which we just touched on. But absolutely not. I, I'm, I always encourage young people to consider that. And you can serve in so many different ways. You don't have to be in the CIA, right? There's so many different ways in your community, at the state level, in the party you can, or the candidates you care about. You don't have you don't have to, you know, go into the foreign service or the CIA to serve naturally. I see a lot of parallels between the ways you were treated by media and other high-profile women, including Monica Lewinsky and Amanda Knox, where scandals that have far less to do with the women involved than the men involved seem to center around the women when published by media. What do you feel about how these narratives are constructed by both media and institutions. Thanks for that question, because that really just popped into my head over the last few months, or became it came more into focus, shall we say. Particularly, I think there's a, I don't know who does it, but there is a, a whole series on Monica Lewinsky. And we've all, I think, collectively revisited that, that time. And we realized collectively how 
awful we were. Britney Spears is another one I would throw out there. I mean, I, I'm not comparing myself to either one of them, but there is the 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 connective tissue is women, how they are treated in the media. I mean, look at what they did. It really was, for lack of a better phrase, but, you know, slut-shaming, either Brittany, uh, Amanda, Monica Lewinsky, it's all tied to their sexuality, which is not to absolve everyone of their own responsibility and actions. Monica Lewinsky was a young adult, young. Uh, there was a huge power differential. Nevertheless, she, you know, she was there. She fully participated. That said, I, I love that collectively, for many, we have been rethinking how we how we absorb these stories and to maybe think again, playing into that has been uh, the time, Time's Up or Me Too movement of the last few years that also says, no, really, you need to believe her. You need to believe her. And I'm, I'm not saying poor me, poor, you know, I, I hate being called a victim of any, of any of that sort. And it's very, it's not exactly analogous. That said, the fact that I was a younger, uh, blonde woman who was sort of catnip. I mean, there were members of Congress that when this whole thing blew up, they're like, oh, she's, you know, she just sits at her desk. She's just a glorified, I was literally called a glorified secretary. How misogynistic can you get? This is not 1945. It was just crazy to me. Even the idea that it's referred to, there's a, I believe a Wikipedia page titled Plain, Plain Game. You know, it's just, I, I think that's something I kept getting stuck on when I was reading about you is just the constant reference to you, despite your lack of involvement in everything that happened, you know? Yes, I've been thinking more about that over the last few, over this past year. And I think a lot of what happened in all the, uh, you know, all the ink spilled around what happened in my particular case had, I, I can't, it had something to do with the fact that I'm a woman. Do you think that your situation would have turned out differently had it occurred post Me Too and some of the discussions we're having now? Maybe, but such a hypothetical, who knows? You know, I I'm, I'm not unsympathetic. It just happened to me personally. Like, I totally get you have a handsome ambassador who tends to be somewhat bellicose, you know, in his dealings with the media. You have a blonde CIA woman, you know, lady, who, and all of that. It, it, I see how it triggers certain things, but I don't, you know, who, who knows what would happen today if it were to unfold. So your book is heavily redacted. Do you think there will come a time where the unredacted manuscript can be published? I would love that. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I have, well, there is a media center at Yale University that is filing a lawsuit against the, the CIA and others that have this so-called so publication review board, where it is, in my, this is my opinion, it is has far less to do with actually protecting national security secrets than protecting the public from knowing the embarrassment of certain things. So I don't know, in, in my case, if things were unredacted, if you were all those black lines were lifted up, that would that would be, uh, I, I would love that. Uh, certainly, I never, ever ex expose or harm national security. I'm not giving sources and methods. I believe that all the redactions or that whole episode really had far more to do with political retaliation than protecting national security secrets. So 
I would love that whole issue to be revisited, but not just for me in a broader sense, because going forward, let's really protect what's what is secret and what should not be made public. And uh, let's not use it as a means of punishment for people we don't like at the moment. So before we get into what you're up to now, what advice would you give today to pre-2003 Valerie? Oh. <laughs> It will be okay in the end, maybe. You'll live through this. Because at the time, it sure didn't, it, like I said, it went on for so long. And it, it no amount of yoga is ever going to meditate that away. It was insane As I, for a while, for a couple years there. It was like falling down Alice's rabbit hole, where white is black and black is white. And, you know, we now have that term for it called gaslighting, except now we all really know what that means. And it was going on then. But nothing will get, I mean, the broader tragedy, of course, is the United States and our reputation and those that gave their lives in the Iraq war and Afghanistan. Both wars started and perpetuated, well, under all administrations, but definitely it started under the Bush administration. And I think about those, the families that lost loved ones. And for what, again? Tell me, you know, for what, Afghanistan, we don't have time on this, on this episode to talk about all the, all the, the folly of the Iraq war and our Afghanistan adventures. But um, for me personally, I feel like finally I'm in another chapter. And as I say, said, finally able to take stock and uh, move, repair what needs to re re be repaired for in internally and be able to move on. Love that. So tickets are now on sale for your upcoming conference, Spies, Lies, and Nukes, taking place in Tucson from May 1st to 3rd. So I was reading some of the topics. One of them is Russian election hacking in cyber warfare, which sounds so interesting. Could you tell me a little more about what the conference will entail and, and some of the topics that are going to be covered? Yes, thank you. I'm so excited about this. First of all, the venue is, is fantastic. It's called Hacienda del Sol. It's a historic girls ranch in the foothills of Tucson. It's a small boutique property, four star. So it, it's a lovely venue. And May, it's still, the it will be gorgeous weather. The Tucson temperatures won't be in the uh, triple digits yet. And I'm so proud of the lineup of speakers we have. These are first and foremost, my friends, my former colleagues, but I, more importantly for the conference, these men and women are the real deal. They are legendary. They are highly decorated. They have all done amazing things, uh, whether it's the Havana syndrome, Russian hacking, how to recruit a spy, uh, women in the CIA. These are some of the topics that we'll cover. And I want very much, we've all been to enough talking head sort of thing. It's going to be, I want it to be really dynamic. I want the audience, our guests there, it'll be quite relatively intimate uh, to be able to interact in a meaningful way with these people that have for years served in the so-called wilderness of mirrors. So if anyone's interested that is listening, you could go to our website, spiesliesnukes.com. Uh, we're on Facebook as well and our website. And we're actually having a flash sale right now for the holidays. I wish I, I wish I could go because I was reading Mary Beth Long is going to be speaking and she was the first woman ever appointed chair of NATO's high level group. She oversaw NATO's nuclear policy. So you really have some incredible speakers. Oh, no. 
my friend Jim Lawler, who's who's speaking among other things, how to recruit a spy. You wouldn't pick him out of a crowd, put it that way, as James Bond. He, but he is one of the most successful people. When he talks, like pe- people just you could hear a pin drop. He is an, an unbelievably successful recruiter. Has run amazing operations, and that's true of all of them. Everyone has their niche. We all know each other, and we respect each other, and so we're there not only to entertain and inform, but we we enjoy it as well, I have to be honest. So how did the conference come about? I first ran one in 2018 in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And it, it was literally nothing more than me calling up my friends going, hey, you want to come to Santa Fe and like talk about spy stuff? And we threw it together totally by the seat of our pants. It was very successful, much to my surprise. If you, I mean, I didn't know how many, we got people from all over the country that came. It was really cool. And then we were going to continue it, but I ruined everything by running for Congress and then COVID came along. So now we're picking up where we left off and this is our second one. Valerie, thank you so much. Like I said, I remember picking up your book. It would have been maybe 2007, eight-ish. I don't remember. I was very young, I think in maybe middle school or even entering high school. Flipping through and looking at all, I thought the book was... Now that I know, you know, I think at the time I didn't realize exactly why all of the pages were blacked out, but I thought it was so cool yeah. when I looked at your book. Now I know that I'd like to maybe read a, a version that has uh, more information within, but thank you so much for taking the time to chat. I really, truly appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Thank you and all the best to you and your family for the holidays. There you have it. That was my conversation with Valerie Plame. I still can't even believe I got the opportunity to speak with her. She is simply brilliant and a major part of American history, and to have the opportunity to speak with her was a thrill. You can check out, as she said, spiesliesnukes.com for information on her upcoming conference in Tucson, Arizona. And next week, I will be joined by a former member of parliament. She's an author and she is a badass. Can you guess who it is? Well, you'll have to wait to find out. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and until next time, be well. (laughs) 